0: Good evening and welcome to A Story at Midnight. The story this evening is called Safe Landing and was written by Felicity Radcliffe. It is narrated by Felicity and Kevin Daly and myself, Sue Rodwell-Smith. So do enjoy and sleep well. Safe Landing. The morning sun found a gap in the heavy velvet curtains and instantly she was wide awake. On this momentous summer day, her first thought upon waking was the same as on every other morning she simply had to move out by the end of the year at the very latest
1: Annabelle Darcy you cannot begin the 1970s still living in your childhood bedroom she muttered to herself padding across the thickly carpeted floor towards her ensuite bathroom as she filled the marble basin she reflected that she would miss the luxury of her parents holland park mansion Far better, though, to slum it with a flatmate in Notting Hill or Bayswater and
0: escape her mother's relentless crusade to marry her off. Carefully, Annabel backcombed her blonde hair, glued her false eyelashes in place, and applied pink frosted lipstick. As she wiggled into her Mary Quant shift dress, she concluded that a trouser suit would be much more practical and comfortable for work. Alan, her immediate boss, would not object but their fearsome editor Andrew Tilson Acker, the gaffer, would not approve. He liked the woman in his room to show a bit of leg. As she walked into the kitchen, her mother Ward wafted a languid hand towards the kitchen counter. Coffee is in the pot,
1: she trilled.
0: And I have asked Betty to make you some food
1: to take with you, as I know you're going to be late tonight. Ah, here she is. Thank you, Betty, dear. She said graciously as Betty handed Annabel her lunchbox.
0: Annabel peered inside the box, then looked wearily at her mother. Rivitas, mummy, again? Yes, with cottage
1: cheese, Maud said firmly. A woman's waistline thickens as she gets older. You need to have discipline to keep your figure. I know it's all beer and bacon sandwiches at that newspaper of yours, but you have got to say no, otherwise you will become stout and no man will look at you. Thanks for the lecture, Mummy, but I have more important things on my mind today, Anbel sighed. It may have escaped your notice, but tonight a man is going to land on the moon for the very first time as personal assistant to the picture editor of a major fleet street newspaper i am going to help put the images of this historic occasion on the front page where millions of people will see them i haven't got time to worry about waistlines darling you are a secretary who is staring 30 in the face with no sign of a decent husband moon or no moon the clock is ticking and if you're not careful you will be left on the shelf Mummy, I'm only 26 and the world is changing. I want more from life than walking up the aisle in a white dress and pushing a pram a year later. Her mother smiled knowingly. Pick the right husband, Annabel, and he'll hire someone to push the pram for you. You won't have to lift a finger. To Annabel's relief, their conversation was interrupted by her father, Aubrey, who rushed in, red-faced and flustered. Maud!
2: I need you to help me find my new blue tie. Betty must have rearranged my wardrobe. I can't see it anywhere, and I'm due at Westminster in an hour. The car's already on its way to pick me up. Morning, darling. Uh, He finished distractedly noticing his daughter and giving her a peck on the cheek. Morning, Daddy, I've got to go.
1: Mind you, don't lift a finger now, Mummy, called Annabel cheerfully, shoving her lunchbox
0: into her bag as she left the kitchen. On the central line heading east, Annabel reflected on her mother's words. Maud's comments about her waistline were water off a duck's back. But four of her words struck home. You are a secretary. Annabel had hoped that her shorthand and typing skills, plus her excellent contacts, would help her break into news reporting. But all her efforts to land a job as a junior reporter had so far been in vain. She knew that she was valued by her boss but to his colleagues in the newsroom, she was just one of the invariably attractive women who brighten the place up and perform the tasks that the journalists, most of whom were male, considered to be beneath them. As far as the hacks were concerned, she was fine, just where she was. Annabelle's spirits lifted once she got off the at St. Paul's and took her favorite route to the office. As she turned into Fleet Street, she experienced the familiar sensation of being right at the center of things, in the place where the news were gathered embellished and packaged up for consumption by the eager masses. To be part of the daily adrenaline-fueled frenzy of publishing a national newspaper was the biggest rush she had ever known, particularly on a day like today. Briskly she walked across the crowded newsroom which was full of men yelling into their phones and marching around imperiously on supposedly vital missions. At the picture desk in the far corner, her boss, the notoriously blunt Yorkshireman Alan Postlethwaite, sat in his habitual fog of cigarette smoke, poring over a transparency on a light box.
2: Post has just arrived, Alan muttered gruffly by way of a greeting, indicating a teetering pile of letters, newspapers and magazines on Annabel's desk. Sort it out while I'm in the editorial conference, then I'll brief you on today. With that, he wandered off to the conference room, notepad in one hand and fag in the other. Annabel watched him go, reflecting that despite his brusque manner, which some people wrongly interpreted as rude, she would much rather have him as her boss than the gaffer. So in conclusion, Andrew Tilson barked at his editorial team, there's only one story that matters today. I don't care if the bloody Cray twins escape from prison. The moon landing goes on the front page. I want our coverage to blow every other paper away. Alan, I don't need to tell you that your pictures are key to making this happen. Do not, I repeat, not balls this up. Right, that's it. Bugger off, all of you, and get to work. Yes, Janet? The gaffer folded his arms and glared at his fashion editor, who had raised her hand.
1: We haven't talked about the angle I'm taking, Janet began. I've put together a piece on futuristic space-age outfits.
2: I don't give a rat's crap about your space-age outfits, yelled Tilson. Just write whatever shit you women like to read about, and leave me alone. If you
1: don't care about my work, shouted, Janet, why do you invite me to the editorial conference?
2: I don't know why I employ you, let alone allow you in this room, roared the gaffer. Now get out of here before I fire your bony ass.
1: Knowing when to cut and run, Janet hastily left the room.
2: Alan finished briefing Annabelle, then reached for his phone. Right, I need to call the agency and find out when they're wiring the pictures through. Pop out and get me 40 number 6 and the bacon sandwich, would you? Get one for yourself too. It's going to be a long day.
1: Thank you, Alan. I'm ravenous. Annabel grabbed her purse and headed off to the cafe and the corner shop. When she returned, Alan was sitting at his desk looking terrified, his face deathly pale. Pushing his bacon sandwich to one side, he lit up and exhaled a despairing plume of smoke in Annabel's direction. "'Whatever is the matter, Alan?' inquired Annabel. She had never seen her boss look scared before.
2: "'Afraid of nought, me?' he had boasted on numerous occasions, particularly after several pints of beer. This time was clearly different. "'I just got off the phone to the agency,' he began. The cameras are down, a major technical malfunction, whatever the sodding hell that's supposed to mean. The upshot is that they will unfortunately be unable to wire us the close-ups of the moon's surface that we need to put on the front pages of our fine newspaper this evening, on pain of death. So you and I, my dear, need to hit the phones right now and hire another agency, otherwise we're finished. Alan handed Annabelle a crumpled piece of paper covered in hastily scribbled names and phone numbers. I suggest you get dialing and use all that posh charm of yours to work us a miracle.
0: An hour later it was clear that the miracle was not going to happen. All the other agencies had signed exclusivity agreements with the paper's Fleet Street competitors so there was no way to obtain the close-up photos of the moon that the gaffer was expecting.
2: So what do we do now, Alan? asked Annabel. What I do right now, Alan sighed, is to go and see Andrew Tilson and explain what has happened and fall on my sword. Now after these fired both of us, we go to Elvino's for lunch, get roaring drunk and afterwards leave Fleet Street forever. You go off and marry some chinless wonder and I spend the rest of my days taking pictures of fates at the Batley Chronicle.
1: Annabelle thought about lunch at Elvino's and suddenly had an idea. Alan, wait a moment. Don't do anything hasty. Grabbing her lunchbox from her bag, she opened it and pointed to the contents. See these dry
2: eaters? Never eaten the buggers, But yeah, Alan growled. What's your point?
1: If you look closely, you will see that they have these little sort of craters on the surface. Annabelle explained. I thought that if we could get our own cameras on them, blow them up a lot, and perhaps get the art department to do some work on the result, then with a bit of luck...
2: They'd look like the craters of the sodding moon. Alan stared at her, his face a picture of incredulity. (laughs) Then he laughed. Annabelle, you're a bloody genius. I think you might just have saved both our jobs. Let's give it a try but not a word to anyone, mind.
0: Later that night, the first edition of the next day's paper went to press, and Andrew Tilson, in a rare display of geniality, walked around the newsroom to
2: congratulate his editorial team. Great job, Alan, he beamed. Your pictures are outstanding. The quality was much better than I expected. Thanks, Andrew. I couldn't have done it without Annabel, though. With a smile, Alan pointed towards his secretary, who was just picking up her bag, ready to leave. "'Oh, you mean your posh dolly bird?' laughed Tilson. "'Best you take her to the Cheshire Cheese for a few drinks, "'if she's done a hard day's work.' "'Actually, I think she deserves more than that by way of a reward,' ventured Alan. "'To be frank, she's wasted as my secretary. "'In my opinion, she's worthy of a promotion.' "'Fair enough. It's good timing, actually,' One of the girls in the fashion desk has gone and got herself pregnant. So there's an opening there, working for Janet. She's a good-looking girl, your secretary. She'll fit right in. We can easily find you a new secretary to replace her. Can't say fairer than that, can I? You crafty old sod, Potsdell catching me while I'm in a good mood.
0: With that, the two men smiled at each other, shook hands firmly, then headed off to the pub. The fashion desk? That sounds rather nice,
1: darling. Maud smiled at her daughter sitting opposite her at the kitchen table. Will the designers give me any free samples? Let me know if they have anything in my size, but none of those dreadful hippie kaftans, please. They won't do at all. I don't care about fashion or free samples. I want to be a news reporter. Annabel retorted through gritted teeth. Her mother, though, was oblivious, immersed once again in her copy of Harper's Bazaar. Sighing deeply, her daughter opened the evening paper and turned straight to the letting section.
0: Author's note. The bit about the rivitas is actually true. A newspaper really did put a picture of a rivita on its front page and passed it off as the moon. Back in 1969, Technology was rather limited, so they had to improvise. The rest of the story is a product of my imagination, although a fictional version of a certain household name does make a cameo appearance. As some of you know, my late father was a Fleet Street journalist for more than 20 years. He also used to deliver lectures to police forces and schools on journalism and press relations. At every lecture, he would place a packet of rivetas on the desk in front of him to remind the audience not to believe everything they read in the newspapers. That's why, when the judges of the writing competition presented me with a parcel of rivetas to show how much they had enjoyed the story, it was quite an emotional moment for me. The judges said they found the story truly amusing, which was great but I was also trying to say something more serious about what a sexist world it was back then and how young women were held back not only by men, but by other women, in this case, Annabel's mother. We're not there yet, of course, but progress has definitely been made. I hope you enjoyed the story. Let me know if you have any comments. Felicity Ratcliffe. Edited by Sue Rodwell-Smith, A Story at Midnight was brought to you by Wavelength Productions and recorded in
2: Huntingdon, Cambridgeshire.